0: CLS is go for main engine start.
1: Go at throttle up. Negative return. Then we see a nominal Miko. Welcome to space. We're here, Jake. Hello, everyone. I Hello. you were paying Welcome. attention. We
0: just talked about you doing the intro, and you looked like you were not paying attention at I, the moment.
1: I had a momentary panic attack because I, <laughs> I didn't know if I had my bottle opener for my beer. Like, the second I said yes, and I was like, uh-oh, am I in trouble? Am I going to not be able to open this beer? But I do. I have it. I'm good. We're ready to go.
0: <laughs> this is a long-awaited episode of Off Novenal, Jake, because mm-hmm. uh, our yep. guest, the esteemed Lori Garver, has been on our list probably longer than anyone has been on our list of people we should definitely get on the show at some point
1: guaranteed a day one uh, list when we we got together and said let's do this weird show who should we have on it and then we made a short list and laurie i'm pretty sure you were on that list on on the first day so uh welcome at last off nominal glad to have you here
2: thank you it's great to be here what year was that
1: Ooh, Ooh, this uh, is going to get
0: embarrassing because you can now tell yeah. how slow we are at doing guest outreach. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, 2017, I think we started this, Anthony.
0: Yeah. Is that about right? It was probably 2018 yeah. when we started making a list.
1: Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It wasn't that bad. So, but, Yeah, We had to get four some credit first. That's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. We had to get some credits first.
0: Yeah, we couldn't come out of the gate
1: <laughs> with you.
2: Well, you know, I I could say I was busy, but I, I didn't get the invitation until I, I responded right away. So
1: <laughs> You did. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. We really appreciate that.
2: And this Open
1: oh, Honesty oh. is
0: exactly why we are having you here on the show today yes. <laughs> for uh, your upcoming, well, we're like halfway through a release of your book, right? The audio book is out. But the all the other versions of the book are coming out next week, Escaping Gravity, which we'll be talking about in a second. But we need to talk about what we're drinking first. So we noticed that you have come prepared. So what do you have over there?
2: Well, thankfully, I did read uh, your invitation. <laughs> I just learned right away I'm not a big drinker. And I was thrilled to know that I could start at four o'clock, but you won't see me drinking too much. I have a glass of white wine, a light, a light Sauvignon Blanc. I, Mm. um, it's cheap. I do not, I'm not a wine snob. (laughs) However, my glass is what you come for. Someone made this for me and it says queen on it and it has all these crowns and it is gorgeous. And it was, um, showed up on my desk at NASA one day, so.
1: <laughs> oh, that was right. not in
2: the book.
0: <laughs>
2: so so would space. you say, No.
1: <laughs> so would you say that you don't mind just buying like a, just a glass, of, like a bottle of wine off the shelf? You don't need like a special bespoke uh, uh, one that's been. I really only uh, have one designed, requirement or? for,
2: I, I only have one requirement for my white wine and that <laughs> is to have a screw top because I only drink a little at a time.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. All well. right. And you also don't want to get I'm stuck like me when you can a a Average bottles. bro
2: beer drinking guest. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was a shout-out to Brian Whedon, I guess, who we were talking about before this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Jake, what'd you got? Did you go to the beer company or did you make something fancy?
1: Uh I went to the beer company, um, which mm-hmm. is the beer store by my house. So I got I have a it's a new a brewery from actually I might have had this, I can't even remember, man. There's so many beers. Um, but this is from Ensenada uh, Baja California so this is Pero del Mar it's an India pale ale and then I also have the the red ale which is Harry uh was Harry Palanco yeah wow, look so, at the
0: art on those
1: yeah they're great little labels I kind of like them so I thought I would uh, give them a shot and they actually have you know in, in terms of craft beer in Mexico this is a pretty good one so I wanted to have a a nice one that didn't surprise me today so we're going to give this a shot today <laughs> yeah
0: I I found I did the impossible, Jake, in my local Philadelphia craft beer store. I found a space-themed beer that they never have space-themed beer here in Philadelphia wow. for some reason. But this one's called Orbital Elevator, a concept which I thoroughly do not believe in, but I will drink this beer happily. <laughs> and it's a very nice-looking label. So got awesome. my space beer, okay. and space beer. that's the intro of the show, I guess. Uh, Lori, <laughs> to start. It's a question I was wondering the whole time as I was reading this book. Uh, did you specifically set out to write the spiciest book of all time? Or is that just a natural inclination that you have as uh, a very <laughs> honest person?
1: We're coming out of the I gates didn't, today.
2: Hi. You know, I didn't start out to write the spiciest book. And I would argue I could write a much spicier <laughs> book. Um, I have said that if I do another one, it will be... Fiction, because I can go even deeper into some of those stories mm. that I have. It, um, but yes, I am known for my honesty and my um, willingness to be direct, which some people thrive under. You know, I've ha- I've had lots of employees who, gosh, stayed with me for years, went with me to the next company. You know, but. There are those who, who find it off putting. Uh so to each his own. And I guess I I'm glad you found it spicy because that's good for sales, of course. And there are a few stories in there. I, I'm super interested into what you think is the spiciest.
0: Oh wow. I don't I didn't make a spicy rating. Did you make a spicy yeah, rating, Jake?
1: Uh- I mean, I think so, I, and I've I been following your career for a while, so I, I wasn't like completely unaware of of the persona that you have, all those things you just mentioned. So, like, I was I was ready for some interesting stories, um, but I don't know. I, I was really kind of like uh, refreshed by how uh, honestly you approach your relationship with lots of different people in this story who are who are not like you know people of the of the very distant past. They're still very much figures right. in, in the space world. You know, I'm if talking simply. If, and if not more so specifically about you know Bill Nelson or Charlie Bolden there were some really interesting sort of um, uh, uh, honest takes on, on your relationship with them so I found that very interesting and maybe you can talk about sort of uh, is that just your personality or did you have sort of a reason you really wanted to to be fresh with those stories?
2: Well uh, if you get all the way to the end in the author's note, I say in there you know if I could have told this story without saying anything, negative about anyone, especially hero astronauts and so forth, I would have, but that's not the story. The whole way that you have to make change in government is you have to take into consideration the vested interests and the people protecting the programs that we already have. That doesn't make them bad people. They they are products of a system that has elevated them for so many years. I think what they're doing is the right thing. Um, and we really had honest disagreements. We had open relationships. I think Charlie and I, especially our relationship in their outlines, uh, as much as I felt, I, I should say without overstepping what he's already said, you know, one of the interesting things is it's mostly quotes. He has talked about our relationship much more than I have, but no one, because he's a man and he was my boss, people think about, well, he's allowed to say those things about her. But when I say them, oh, my goodness, it becomes much more controversial. So I tried to just use what he said. And then I found in my research this incredible resource that NASA pays your tax dollars for that they call this Johnson Space Center Oral Research Project. And it's some contractors. It's some contractors who clearly are making money pushing their own agenda and they go and interview. Yeah, they're not
0: spending any of the money on this website, by the way, because this is like straight out <laughs> from the oh, 90s. Good, you have the
2: link screenshot it because I, I I fear when uh, the book comes out they're gonna start taking this <laughs> stuff down. I mean it was just a treasure trove of quotes about me and how horrible, uh, I am. I mean, for people to say with the head of Johnson Space Center, Mike Coates, I had zero experience, you know, it's like, Hmm. oh, Oh, okay. Um, really I, I, these, this story told itself. These were not things I set out to do when I started writing the book. Bill Nelson was certainly not, head of NASA. I don't even think he was a senator anymore. Um, But this is what happened. And the fact that the people now who are taking credit for the commercial crew program were the very people who we had to wrestle it from, you know, they could, they barely failed to kill it. So, okay, I give them credit. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's why this book lands differently three years ago. You know, it's Mm -hmm. that's it's not so much that like it's spicy because, oh, Laurie shouldn't be saying these things. It's spicy because like it's specifically the first chapter or two is like, here's a list of things that I was entirely right about. And there was a subset of the industry that knew it at the time. And it just took time to prove that. And now everyone's changed their tune on it. But that's why it's important, because like the worst thing for the world is if no one ever changes their opinion. And the best thing for the world is for everyone to air exactly how we got to where we are today so that we can learn from that in the past and yeah, so you were talking about the battles I, that you fought with the people that are there today saying how great of a industry we have at the moment, like knowing that they were members of the people or the members of the group fighting against that it it's important to realize like oh we've we've proven that this is the right way by sheer effort from like thousands of people in the industry. And and now that's being recognized at a larger scale.
2: Yes, but I hope the the message that comes across is less that, oh gosh, I was right there wrong. It's that if if you know something and you're trying to make change and the status quo disagrees with you, it's okay. You know, don't just stop um people will come around and NASA has come around brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about this you, you know the incredible embrace of SpaceX that NASA has today as represented by my logo story, you know, in the book how we wouldn't put any logos on before and then NASA's got a lot Now little we can't put large. enough on there. Yeah. yeah. So um <laughs> it it yeah. is really the change in government, yeah, is so challenging. It takes someone really with an outside perspective and somebody who hasn't grown up in the system to come in and be sort of um, that antagonist, which which I was and I was painted to be. And so I thought this story had a broader implication. I, I knew after I left NASA that it needed to be written. Primarily because a bunch of journalists said, "Can we have your notes? We want to write this story." <laughs> and I was like, "Maybe I'll write it myself."
1: Huh? I, I'm curious. Like, do do you think that there is a way that this could have played out? You know, in in the, the way that it had, you know, could we have had this transformation at NASA without someone um, like you who like, like the two the two key things that stood out to me about you that made this possible was a like you just said being able to you know stand up to a status quo and and dig your heels in and and stick to your guns but also that sort of um willingness to i don't want to say burn bridges but like you you know like you're you put the 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 goals before yourself you you that's what I kind of took from this as you said this is more important than me and if it comes at any kind of cost to my personal reputation or my job or whatever that's okay because it's that important right do you think there's a way that this could have happened without someone like you that, that did that kind of thing or is the sort of disruptor the only way out of that
2: I I used to think that this would be something so obvious that it wouldn't have required a disruptor, but my <laughs> short immediate answer would be it required a disruptor. Um, Dan Golden tried to do this in the 1990s. And when I was at NASA, I think, yeah, there was pushback to having the follow on the shuttle be developed by the private sector. But make no mistake, a lot of people, a lot of things had to come together at the right time. We needed technology to develop. X33, you know, had a lot of shortcomings. We needed um, the markets to develop and we needed, of course, these very rich people, it turned out. We need the financial backing. So the policies were sort of, um, I I thought, not going to be the hard part. They ended up being the hard part. And that was surprising, but I I try to go out of my way to say this wouldn't have happened without a lot of people and certainly SpaceX right now. They are still the only ones actually doing this. And I, um, I give them all the credit, but I am willing to accept credit. And the book was a little cathartic to write because like, wow, I really, I had to do what I did. Otherwise NASA hadn't requested the money for commercial crew, even after we got money and stimulus, they just wanted to do the same thing. And so it took someone and I had to go around the administrators back because he opposed it. And um, then I think the Hill really was dragging their feet for so long they thought they might kill it. That probably would have been successful without SpaceX, but. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it, it it took somebody willing to risk their career over it. And I mean, I I don't know what it is. I don't know why people care so much to stay in a single position for so long. There's tons <laughs> of great things to do, do out there. You know, members of Congress want to stay forever. I, I, um, I've had a couple shifts in, in my career and every time it just causes you to learn more and there's more to be done. It's not. It's yeah. not a big deal. There, people are on corporate boards who didn't agree with the stuff that ended up succeeding. And I'm not asked to be on those boards because I'm a lightning rod or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but it. It was not why I did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that 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 uh, that notion might illustrate the difference between the personalities, right? So, willing to change it up and be different and try new things versus keeping the exact same job and the exact same projects forever and ever and ever. That's <laughs> a deeper you might have seated a, yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. the hidden allegory there totally. is it's not that hidden, I guess.
0: <laughs> you, Lori, there's a debate that Jake and I have had. I don't know that we disagree about it, but we've often had this debate um, amongst ourselves or other guests we have on of do NASA administrators matter? And this is a thing that we've talked about through several different administrations now, right? And contextually, right, the congressional wrangling that has happened in the last 20 years, I think, makes this a big debate. And a lot of the, the portion of your book where you're talking about your time as deputy administrator is about how, you know, in many different instances, Charlie Bolden was not willing to, or didn't necessarily know the inherent value of the programs that the administration at the time was tasked with and that you were pushing for is it it's unclear to me exactly how it would have been different if you had an administrator there that did understand that value would go to bat for it how did that how would that have affected the tactical side of going to congress and and fighting the same fight that that you had to do you know down a hand or two that that would have been really helpful i'm sure but how would that have affected the tactics and the outcomes
2: of that Well, so in my view, the NASA administrator not only matters, it is, in some cases, the only thing that matters. I have worked for two NASA administrators, and Dan Golden was administrator for 10 years, three presidents. Um, He used the role to make dramatic, meaningful change. He communicated with the Hill in a way that built trust. He won over the White House by aligning NASA with the values of that administration and how to best serve the country. That's what I thought the job was. Uh, I think Jim Webb also did that. the NASA Administrator is such a unique role. It has more influence, in my view, than cabinet members. And the reason is, it's not in the cabinet and it doesn't have to fit into a little box. Every single president, since we've been able to go to space, supports NASA. I mean, you can get partisan and split hairs, but I've never met a president, and I met like five of them, that didn't light up when you talked about having worked at NASA and what we're doing in space. It's just inherent in leadership. These are people who wanna lead the country and every one of them wants to make this better for America. Use NASA in any way you can to bring glory and money and security to our country. So if the administrator of NASA is doing that and delivering on it, you have their support. We weren't doing that. We were an embarrassment sometimes to the president. That's not good. That's not good. Um, we, of course, in a community, always want more money. And so the administrator needs to show both internal communities as well as political constituencies the value of what we do. I tell a little story in the the book that I'm not... Um, I'm not sure why this resonates with me other than I'm I'm a parent. Um, You know, your kids spend money, you give them, and if they don't spend it well, do you really want to give them more money? But you know, when my (laughs) kids are spending their money in a way that I think is of value, like, yeah, I'm going to put some more money on your account. Um, That's how NASA is. And we're, we have more control than we're willing to admit, probably even to ourselves. I, I don't think this is a debate. The NASA administrator, and in particular during our time, oh my gosh, you you would have won over Congress before our budget even came out. On day one, you would have had everyone saying why this is brilliant. You would have had NASA working on studies that showed the economic value of doing this. You would have had NASA working on studies that showed the problems, not the consolation was bad, because the people weren't doing the right thing. It was because of how it was structured. You have, well, we had 18 billion. Now you have 25 billion, you can use that to benefit society. And I mean, it's, it's, um, super powerful, if you have the right (laughs) skills, and Mm -hmm. I you know, we've, we've had various levels of
1: that. Okay, so let me let me follow on with that, then. So, uh, that I think what your argument tells to me is that it is a a place where there is a potential of great change, but if it depends on and maybe this is true for all political positions, but like does it depend on having a great person in there? Because if so, then that doesn't that doesn't necessarily make the argument that the administrator matters. It it makes the argument that having good people matters. Right, picking the administrator and so, matters. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me frame the question a different way then. So, you know, you told some great stories in this book about how there was an alignment between you and the president on policies. You know, so Obama and you had the same idea, but but the administrator Charlie Bolden was was not either didn't understand or didn't want to do it that way or whatever, and there was this misalignment. Um, and it would have been super beneficial for you to have you know Obama go to bat for a lot of your stuff and and, and do more than that, you know, that one speech he was able to do or whatever. Um, so it, to me, there's also this idea of like, how much time does the NASA administrator get from the president? Because as you mentioned, the administrator is not a cabinet secretary, right? And the president has a lot of very important work to do. Just like you said that they had that speech. And on the way, I think Obama had to give the green light on getting bin Laden. That was all happening at the same time. And so... You know, like that's that's a great example of how divided a, a president's attention is. So my question is, would the NASA administrator, over the long run, individual agnostic, be more effective if it reported to a cabinet secretary and there was someone who could, like, you know, be a, a, an intermediary between NASA and the president? Would that help? And that you'd have a secretary going to bat with you and running things up flagpole that are important and blocking it when it's not and I don't know. I, I've always found it kind of interesting how the NASA administrator straight lines right to the president.
2: Yeah, it's super interesting. And in a lot of ways, um, I, I guess my my view is straight line the president is the way to go. You're head of NASA. When you say that, anyone will take a meeting with you. If you need somebody <laughs> at Department of Transportation, Secretary of Transportation will meet with you. Um, if you, you technically direct report, but you really sort of go through the president's science advisor. We worked hand in glove mm. with OSTP and Holdren carried our water to the president because he was meeting with him much more often. But if Charlie had wanted to, he could have done done that much more. The, the thing was, they weren't going to have him do that because nobody knew what he was going <laughs> to say and what he wanted. Like, if you're all in lockstep and you're working, you're working with the cabinet secretary. I was lucky that I had this deputies council and the deputies sort of developed policies. So we had a lot of strong deputies. Um, And so I had my own little group when I needed something done. And when it came to the NASA space policies, they would be on board because I'd worked those relationships. The administrator can be working any. Relationship they want, and (laughs) if you and and you should be doing that instead of you know oh these are my friends and this is who I hang out with you know they um, this is this is a unique thing about the agency and the job. Any you are just not going to get anyone who says, oh gosh NASA that's why do I want to why do I want to do that? They don't. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, nobody would decline yeah, that right. meeting invite. You mentioned um, that, you know, talking about the budget, that there is a lot of flexibility that you have within, you know, the $25 billion budget now. And I think a lot of times the community at large gets maybe overly fixated on certain aspects where like Congress has written into law that Europa Clipper has to fly on SLS or that SLS has to be built with shuttle parts. And we get fixated on these times when Congress has been very prescriptive. Um, but a a good example to maybe, maybe this is a good example from the outside, but maybe you have a different perspective from the inside. Previous administration under Jim Brinstein, um, they were doing next step contracts out the wazoo to, to push the Artemis program, which isn't even a program to push that forward in any way possible, right? Getting a, a couple million here for lunar landers or habitation or spacesuits or all these different things. I mean, even so far as commercial lunar payload services, um like small programs that fly under the radar that don't necessarily need to go to congress and ask for five billion dollars a year and and get this like top line item uh in the budget is that the kind of thing that you're talking about that like you have the ability to create these little programs that can fit into other line items that you're given what is the actual flexibility there that you're harping on because it feels like that's the right path uh to to generate momentum at least
2: you know that is a part of it and i think jim was someone who used that very effectively having come from congress sean o'keefe was another person you know we say we don't want ness involved in politics but we're taking the public's money and that's you know in our constitution how it works so use it and people who bring that to the table again if you are doing a good job they're not going to be micromanaging you And I was, oh, it was was torture. Just this "mother, may I?" That was constantly our thing. Well, we can't do that. Let's ask the hell. Don't no no. I mean, Jim just would do it. I was so jealous uh, seeing seeing his his leadership there. You know, I would get told. Oh, you can't name a program Artemis. Artemis kills Orion in one Greek mythology tale. Like, are you kidding me? I don't think Jim got that pushback.
1: No, probably not, no.
2: He probably um, didn't
1: give the opportunity for it.
2: <laughs> right.
0: He kept talking right, and started and crying shouldn't. about, you know, what it, what the potential is. He would he, he cried enough during those impassioned speeches that people were distracted, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, so there, there definitely is a double standard there. Had I been crying sure. as much as Charlie or Gemini, <laughs> yeah, right. they, they would have locked me up. But um, I, I think it is more about gaining trust and doing things in a transparent way and doing things of actual value. You know, w- this this matters. Back to the allowance analogy, um, and NASA hasn't had a great record and a few things and we got off to a bad start and it's harder to get out of a hole, um, than it is, you know, to really bring someone along with you if they feel they're part of your, um,
1: quest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. So the, one of the lines that that I wrote one line down as I was reading that I definitely had to bring up and it's related to that because this is, this is the one that really uh, stuck out to me because you were, so you did this thing in Russia uh, early on in 2000s uh, where you were you were prepping to go to space so you almost you almost had a ride to space um, and uh, as you said not surprisingly the qualifications required to be a policy analyst don't necessarily translate to having the physiological stamina and aptitude for space flight you're talking about the the zero g or the you know the the high g centrifuge spin channel. stuff and all centrifuge stuff all that kind of stuff and then this line is like so perfect. The reverse is obviously also true, but rarely considered. <laughs> so I, I laughed so hard when I read. It. I had to put the book down and like walk around for a little bit and kind of think about that one because it was interesting. So yeah, I we we've had this discussion a lot. You know, it, do we want a politician in NASA? And I think I agree with you. Like it's crazy to not want that. As if the NASA administrator isn't a politician role. Like it's Senate confirmed. It is absolutely a politician's job, right? It's, uh, it's silly to think that it, it isn't in any way.
2: There are also people who wanna pull it out from being uh, presidentially uh, appointed, You know, have it be something more like a term uh, position. And again, I feel like your access to the president is based on your ability to bring them wins. And NASA has the ability, if you're doing things right, to bring them wins that, by the way, are wins for the country. The congressional uh, problems are part of the system. They need to bring back pork to their districts. Fair enough, they're gonna fight for that. That's their job. And the companies, by the way, are gonna fight for their shareholders. But presidents can lift up their gaze and NASA is one of those tools for the entire nation and planet. So. You really do want and need presidential leadership. And in my view, what we should be doing is communicating more about what the individual members of Congress or companies are doing that are hurting the program. That's the only way to get them to stop. You know, they they don't have any pain from it because we're all just feeding it within the community. But as we're doing more important things, like we did in Apollo, when we were tied to the most important thing the nation thought we needed to do, you know, beat back the um, communism, then you had people willing to vote for NASA increases beyond just their congressional states where the work was done. And I think a lack of that overall meaningful vision has been the problem.
0: You, you mentioned in the book one particularly uh, intense, maybe is the wrong word for it. I don't know. Meeting with Bill Nelson, uh, in which he yelled to get your boy Elon in line, um, and this was you know <laughs> during the very early days of trying to convince everybody that this is the right path. In, in that case, right? I think if you're somebody who like us saw the vision that you had for for the way the space industry could go, it's a pretty easy story to tell Bill Nelson about how this will be beneficial for Florida in the long run, right? If you were to take a snapshot of right now, throw VR goggles on them and show them 2022 Florida space industry, probably would be thrilled with the way that the space coast has been revitalized. Um, And that's evident, right? When you you think about, well, yeah, all all this expertise that is in the shuttle program is not just going to disappear and everyone's going to go get a job doing something else entirely. There's going to be this entrepreneurial spirit that's going to pick up the pieces of this industry and reconfigure them in a way that is, you know, fits their vision in the long run. And, you know, I would love to hear about how how you were going at fighting those battles of trying to get people with those parochial interests to understand the way of the future, and if there was any anyone else there that that had the inverse that that saw the future of like what this could do for their district that was wrapped up in the space industry now and and was moving in a direction, or maybe wasn't in the space industry like Silicon Valley as much uh, that is now very heavily in the space industry. Were there any you know good examples that you had there?
2: Sure, yeah, I really thought this story would tell itself. I thought it would be more clear than than. Um, was obvious early. And I do think that was a messaging issue on NASA's part. And part of that, a major part was that our agency lead didn't didn't have it. He had a very, very strong, close relationship with Senator Nelson. And I don't really know how much they communicated on that, but it was not something I could get in the middle of, I can tell you that. Um, and I really thought that we would have Senator Nelson. First of all, the president had already done his bidding for the NASA administrator, and and the so okay. I kept saying they can't. You like just tell him you've already done what you you know. Um, But this. to to the question on whether or not there were other people who saw it, I remember Senator Sherrod Brown from Ohio, right away, just loved it. And he was so excited. He goes, all NASA ever cared about before was those Southern centers. And we here (laughs) in Ohio, we're doing all this tech stuff, we're doing, and they were so excited. Ames was so excited. The whole California delegation was enthused, Um, but you know what? The Senate is a very collegial place and Senator Nelson and Senator Mikulski especially, they worked it hard, they worked it hard and people don't wanna go up against individuals who wake up every single day thinking about one issue and almost no one other than those two in Congress do that. So Senator Mikulski, they got her right away, even though during the transition, I had talked to her and her staff about, Hey, Constellation is having all these problems. Maybe you guys should lead a study. I, in talking on the house side, even Congressman Giffords and Congressman Mollahan who was head of appropriations at the time, my, my, I'm so bummed that what I didn't get them to do, I'd asked and they just waited was maybe they should start a review of human spaceflight? you know, during transition, because it was so clear the shuttle was retiring. We don't have a replacement. Constellation's off track. And if they'd done it themselves, they would have had to get on board. So this is the kind of thing that I feel like a NASA administrator could have easily gotten that to happen. Um, I... I mean I did work for Charlie. I always oh people say you work for the president. Well, sure, the president appointed me, and I know Charlie at, at least one or two times asked if that could change <laughs> uh, if he could have a different deputy, and he was told no, so um he he couldn't hire and fire me, but every single day, I worked for him, and I didn't i I couldn't just do something that he was against, and I couldn't start something that he didn't want and he didn't want change
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: and and i actually don't know as i say in the book how much of that was him versus just who he was listening to but um it it the cup was boys. like me me saying <laughs> yeah the cup boys me saying i Anyone saying you have an agenda, it's like, well, don't you? I mean, I think having an agenda is, is okay. Yeah. Are you an innocent
0: bystander running NASA? Sorry.
1: <laughs> I prefer my my uh, NASA leadership to have agendas, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Generally, is a good thing. Mike Mike Bloomberg, the mayor. I, I'm a big name dropper, and of course I have the ability to do that in the book, but Mike Bloomberg, I took the four... Uh, the last astronaut crew up to New York for Colbert and some stuff. And we had dinner with uh, Mike Bloomberg. This story actually got cut from the book for some unknown reason. And um, he told me, he said, you know, people like to know where you stand as a leader. They'd rather disagree with your stand than not know where you stand. And Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. And this is like leadership of companies, organizations uh today we have a little situation with elon where i think you know we this is yet to play out i can't believe we are halfway through and haven't talked about elon but um (laughs) you know people know where he stands
1: yeah at least on that day we do but yeah 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 well that's uh, yeah i don't know. We, we might need a whole other podcast for elon if we really wanted to get into yeah that, this is
0: i like all the other <laughs>
1: topics i have on this list <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> but, plus it's not a topic where i really have a lot of expertise right so mm. i mean this stuff you're asking me i i love to talk about things that, there are very few things i know more about than anyone else but this is you, yeah, you were Hence the and list Elon of things. We're not like, we're not like
0: we gotta get yeah. Lori on to talk about Elon Musk. That was never going to be no. the show that we do here.
2: <laughs> no.
0: no. <laughs> I, there, there is, if we were going to talk about one human, uh, that, that you talked about in the book a couple times, I don't really have a lot on this topic other than I wrote down this person's name because I recently have fallen in love with Phil McAllister. I had him on my other podcast recently and I had a total crush on him. <laughs> and you mentioned him many times. Uh, and I, I'm wondering if you, I don't know if you've kept tabs with him, but, um, you know the the wing of NASA that he's taken on now. He's he's moving on through the program that that you have you know you were instrumental in in the early days from cargo to crew to the destinations side of you know the future of NASA. And I'm curious how you find how he's navigating the political waters at the moment. If if there's any lessons learned that that you would pass on to the the new end of NASA here with you know free flying space stations and what's next for low Earth orbit human space flight.
2: Well, you know, luckily, one of the things that I came to with NASA in 2008, leading the transition team was some relationships with people like Phil that had already dated a couple of decades. And you always need to know who you can trust. And as I said, this took a lot of people. Phil's right up there near the top. He he, he ran um, the day-to-day relationship with NASA and the transition team for instance. So we had access to him from from the beginning, but I, I had known him in his consulting career years before, and when he'd gotten a job at NASA, he'd called and asked if he should even do it, and I had encouraged him. Boy, was I ever glad he took that advice. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be possible without him. He uh, managed to survive, but there were a few saves I had to make. He knows about those. Because, you know, he wasn't <laughs> Senate confirmed. Um, and there were people who didn't like the program and uh, he could have been swept out with that. Yeah. And Was he he, knows... was he doing
0: Lori's bidding? Was that how it was played yeah. internally?
2: Well, I I, I know people felt that Did way. He have an agenda? But the truth is, <laughs> do you have any what? An agenda? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he was so right with his agenda. Yeah, I'm um, here for
0: Bill's agenda. Like count me in on but
2: that. I'll I'll just say this about that. Here's a guy who Bill Gerstmaner would have fired if he could have um, for being supportive of SpaceX. And Phil is still doing <laughs> the work at NASA for a civil servant salary. So it's a little bit ironic <laughs>
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah that's uh, that's that's maybe the uh one of the most interesting um uh, conclusions to the story when you think about that, because <laughs> even the stories you tell about about Bill Gersten Meyer about how you know that d- didn't want to do it at all, wanted to sign the one contractor and make it boeing and and how disappointed he was when the decision was made like that's it's still wild to me to think about that and how he is now working there to uh to do that that's you know the very thing he wasn't into right that's that's wild
2: <laughs> but you know like you said change change is good and the fact i could see spacex winning him over by their sheer competence and mm. you've got to give bill credit mike suffer credit this would not have happened without them and in a weird way if you game this out it might have been better that they were skeptics at first, because when they came on board, that and brought more work. people yeah. with them. Yeah, totally. And I feel like had I had them just just Bill from the beginning, he he would have brought on Charlie. Charlie trusted them like. Um, And they would have gone to Nelson and it was really the staff on the hill that was hearing from ATK and Lockheed and Boeing, we can do all this so much better and SpaceX has never flown anything, you know, Um, but a technically credible person, which I was not, was um, what I needed. That's yeah, funny. None of your That's resume sweaty, had
0: led me to think technically credible. Yeah, for sure. Nothing in there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nothing. Yeah, nothing. It, turns, it turns out the deputy minister of NASA does not turn any bolts and no. uh, had an agenda yeah. it wasn't agenda technically now. credible. Uh
0: got to get her out. <laughs>
1: I I really um yeah I I love thinking about that idea of sort of like you know, the skeptics slowly converting and I I hope it's happening more. I was thinking the other day because the um, there was a tweet I don't know it was like from the NASA Artemis account or something and it was like. A bunch of the the human landing system project managers went down to Starbase and they were looking around. There was pictures of them and they were just, mm. you know, they're looking like this at all the different things. And I'm just, and I was thinking, I'm like, are we just like literally watching someone change religion right now? Because it, it, even if you, if you're like the the biggest SpaceX skeptic, and like, there's still tons of that in NASA right now. Like they're putting out like. You know, I I always laugh when they put out a, a, a render. Yeah, this is the tweet. They put out like a render of like, (laughs) uh, you know, of the, of the Artemis base camp or something. And they'll, they'll show a lander and it's like some reference design lander. They won't show the SpaceX one, right? It It still happens like today. And I really wonder if we're just like seeing one by one people like that are just like, just changing religions mm-hmm. and they go, they go back to Marshall after that and they get into their office and they're thinking about it. And it's like, that's, that's like the, yeah. those are the little sparks of change. You that's have to wait. actually
0: I, ever. I forget what the exact quote is, but there's, there's a quote about like, is your movement trying to find converts or trying to find heretics and, and like, you know, saying, are you trying to build in a direction or are you trying to tear down a direction? And mm-hmm. I feel right. like that's what the progress of the last 10 years has been is, you know, it's hard to deny visible momentum. And that's all we've seen, especially the last five years, has been accelerating even more so. But, you know, DM2 and then all of the crew flights from there and all of a sudden we're flying as frequently as shuttle did. Uh, It's it's you can't fight against that forever.
2: But, you know, I don't think I mean, Starship's going to have to fly for people to really see that. That's what happened with. Falcon one, Falcon nine, and dragon. And really quite close until when they flew, lots of people told me SpaceX will never fly anything. It will <laughs> never get off the ground. You know, like literally they these are astronauts and they're saying this. So until Starship is flying, people are going to say that. And I, it's even too hard to describe. I tried to in the book, you know, people complain these things are crashing. Like they're only crashing because they're trying to bring them back. Nothing we ever have launched that way has come back <laughs> that way. Like, so yours crashed just That's a great, little yeah. higher. <laughs>
1: yeah. every, every Atlas V has crashed into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> failure rate. (laughs) Oh, man. People don't call them
2: on it. People do not call them on it. Again, we like to be in this cozy community. And that is one of the things about space, the space club, as I refer to them a little in the book, that we we need to break out of. Um, It's okay to have a Difference of opinion, diversity is one of the things that makes us strong in nature and in teams. And I think NASA's heritage is to debate technical topics. And you, knew, you know, I got this master's in space policy, and you see the debates over lunar orbit versus Earth orbit rendezvous and things. It's Ooh. very
0: yeah, that's, you could imagine the red that existed it. back then, right? <laughs> you can see. And yeah,
2: I wanted I wanted to to imagine that even once we got the money and we're told we had to do a government-owned and operated heavy lift, like, well, let's talk about how we could do this in a way that is sustainable. And there were all kinds of studies that just dismissed Using another technology, using orbital refueling. Like, well, you said we built the space station, so we know we can do this. You know, build things on orbit. That was so obvious to to me, but um, and then to the laws nobody of wanted physics. to debate <laughs> like, it. Like to actual yeah. history
0: and the laws of physics. Yeah, that's a thing that happened.
1: <laughs> huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's one of the things that that really like um, gets me down sometimes because I, I think about the you know the program of record today artemis with sls and orion and then there are a thousand criticisms of it and i I wonder like how how much would those criticisms matter if like there were four sls's launching every year and there was a base on the moon and like there was like a ton of actual activity and and you know they were they were driven to the actual objective of, of flying it and accomplishing things in space versus what we actually have where not only is it really, really expensive, but it's not also doing anything. Right. Um, and it's, it's kind of what's really interesting about comparing it to lunar orbit rendezvous is that, that there was all this Apollo debate and lots of stuff, but then they went and did it. And so like Apollo was very expensive. We, you know, we don't talk about that a lot, but it actually accomplished something. And there's a, there's a, a virtue to that, that, uh, is now gone. And yeah. I think that's
0: the only person obsessed but with it first... Casey Dreyer doing math about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like inflation rates and stuff, but that's it. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. The,
2: the, the difference is the cart before the horse, you know, the purpose <laughs> drove the mission. We needed to beat the Russians and therefore those decisions were settled based on what we were trying to accomplish. So in my view, the what the, how should follow the why. And we've been missing the why um in in my view the why hasn't changed that much and that the nasa space act of 1958 you know we are going to be leaders we are going to help the country economically and we are going to advance society so if you're doing those let's think about programs that will actually accomplish those things but i love that question because if there were four sls a year that even could fly I think it get less criticism. Of course, it's it's a, a combination of financial, um, what the budget would take, but since COVID and since the trillions that we keep adding to the budget, it really makes that, I think, a little bit less of an argument because people are understanding more the kinds of things you invest in and how those are stimulants. and. NASA can be a stimulant. And if you are putting money on things that will return US markets that we lost, which is what we were doing did, you know, we hadn't launched anything, much less people commercially, uh, we'd lost it all to the Chinese, Russians and French. Um, that that's a net gain. The criticism of SLS. First of all, a lot of people don't even know anything about it.
1: Um, <laughs> That's
2: right a good way to get or
0: For sure, Absolutely. Right. It Doesn't come up yeah. in the or, presidential or... debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like is that the rocket I saw on that Snoopy TV show? I think I saw that in yeah. the Snoopy show.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. People know more about the, the Martian.
0: That was in the Martian, right? I had in the Martian. It's like no, that was the other one that actually they used instead of SLS that they put at the end of the Martian credits, but.
2: Yes, how we know about Tiger King but not Artemis is is a little sad, (laughs) sad, but uh, we have the ability, I think, to use this moment at NASA when people are excited about space because there's more happening that's not just NASA, but uh, as I say in the book, I'm really, really, um, everybody is giving so much credit to what NASA has done for, for where we are that I am concerned that SLS either it'll have problems or even if it goes perfectly, which let's all admit, it's very hard for something like mm-hmm. this to do um, is going to be debated because people like me know we could be doing it differently for, for <laughs> you know, more efficiently. And we said Artemis, we, the government, NASA, I like to be inclusive. Was going to be sustainable, and there's nothing about this that's sustainable. And even in Apollo with Saturn V, we went twelve times in five years with a Saturn V launch. You're telling me that the replacement can only go twice in that period of time? No one's, no one's expecting that. And we said we were going to go on the moon to stay, but we're not even going more than you know. It's like COVID between vac- vacations. It's not good. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Too much time. It's a long stay. It's a really long stay. <laughs> no, they're not staying. I
0: know they should, though. If they should. Oh, Here's the thing, like related to this, right? I, I, something I'm always uh, quick to bring up is that the the natural life cycle of organizations is such that if you project your mind forward far enough, a couple decades, maybe, SpaceX will one day be the old crusty in the room and they will be the ones standing in the way of progress because they are the entrenched interests Unless and only unless they maintain what they're currently doing, which is continually killing their own products. Like that is still what they're doing at Starship, right? They're going to, they've built the greatest commercial launch vehicle that has ever existed. And they're talking about getting rid of it in five years. (laughs) So as long as they keep doing that, they can maintain their kind of disruptor mentality. But, I think they need to be constantly weary that they are going to be the old crusty one day and there will be a new crop of people. So is there anything that you could impart to like future leadership of that company that is how do you prevent yourself from falling into the same trap that Boeing and Northrop Grumman and all those others did, you know, in the early 2010s or 2000s? When when the
1: SpaceX employees kick Elon out, what what do they tell the next leader?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When Gwen has to hand over the reins, what is what happens then? (laughs)
2: Well, she could lead it of course. And and I, I guess my out of all my fears about a future, this is, a, is not high on the list because I do think SpaceX knows certainly more than I do as a institution about keeping innovation at the forefront. But you're right, of course. And there are many, many startups today that hope to be nipping at their heels. Yeah, the old Um,
0: SpaceX killer headline.
2: Can't get enough of that one. (laughs) And I certainly get contacted by big investment houses who want to ask me, who do I think is the next SpaceX that they can go invest in? You know, as as the economy has been good, that has helped get a lot of these folks going. And um, competition is what we were after. I, I really didn't have my thumb on the scale for SpaceX it became obvious fairly quickly certainly after they started flying cargo that they were the one to beat but the fact that they're so far ahead is scary and Mm -hmm. I think they will have to um you know work to stay sharp but I this is not a this is not a big fear because I mean let's face it Starship I didn't know how else to say it in the book, but it it the game will change again. And the fact that they are replacing themselves. I mean, what are the payloads gonna be? There's gonna be stuff done that we don't, we haven't thought of yet. So we need a lot of people. We need a lot more people thinking of stuff. And then you have the downside of that and how are we going to make sure that all of that does not um, undermine its value by, Junking up space and Earth, mm-hmm. lots of mm-hmm. lots of issues. But this, uh, you know, I'm I'm fascinated that we have gotten where we are so quickly. It seemed to go slow for decades. I mean, the 1980s, and you've talked to some of these people yourself, the space pirates, as I call them in the book. They foresaw this. We all thought it would happen a a while ago. So it's great
1: seeing, yeah. Again. So we've got a few minutes left here. I wondered if you could maybe just kind of close out with uh, maybe your evaluation on the current administration, or any advice you would give to, you know, to Bill Nelson or to Pam Melroy. You know, like what are we are we carrying on well right now, or is there more changes that we should be making? What do you uh, what do you put your assessment at today?
2: I, you know, a first reaction is that will be like. I should say what I don't think cause it'd be George Costanza rules. Um, they wanna do the opposite of what I suggest, but on <laughs> a more upbeat note, um, I guess I would, I, I would really say we do need an agenda. We de- do need to articulate the real purpose for what we're doing. And we need to know that the president cares about that and that it is tied to our overall goals. I think we we know that one Space Council meeting we had mainly the talk of STEM and climate. Well, that's because that is what this administration cares about and NASA is helpful to them in that regard. How that can happen and we are supposedly going back to the moon without the National Space Council even talking about that program is is challenging to see where where does it really fit, um, and I worry about if if we cannot articulate how it fits, we we risk the um, success of it. I'm. I'm very much thinking that we are in a good place with bipartisanship on the Hill over NASA. So that's always a good thing. I think Bill Nelson and certainly Pam have the respect of people on the Hill and in the administration. So they've got a lot going for them. It's really a question of, is this just really a race with China or or can we talk about the fact that we've already won that race? This is for true leadership in a way that leaves us all better off
0: yeah okay. Bill Nelson's favorite quote watch the Chinese he loves going into Congress and saying that so you know, <laughs> you, <laughs> did get, you, you did know. get him to go to Congress and say the word competition so you know you're building converts
2: oh my gosh he, absolutely I mean his whole nomination he hearing he created it I be a, a way, <laughs> Yeah, I don't even, I don't even believe that. There's there's plenty of things that NASA does, but the most appropriate vehicle. (laughs) Too far. I mean, cost plus. Uh, Too far. You know, if you think about really cutting edge technical things, companies can't scope that risk. And. I am not sure most people will get this in the book, but I'm sure you did that this whole thing with the lunar lander, we really couldn't have done it cost plus without SpaceX because they're putting in their own money. They've already begun Starship with their own money. And otherwise, I mean, companies have to charge so much on a fixed cost because then they're taking on the risk. And by the way, look at the fixed price, contract for gateway max are we've already busted that you know it's not a panacea either
1: yeah, yeah, yeah what the
2: government yeah. really needs to do is incentivize the behaviors that they want and structure their procurement around that and that all starts with what you're trying to achieve
1: all comes Stuck back
2: to objectives.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're over time but laurie we should also mention Everything else that you're doing outside of this, like Brooke Owens Fellowship, I would love to hear a couple minutes if you if you've got another minute or two to just talk about that. And you've got like many different, you know, Brooke follow-on projects that you've started up over the last couple of years. So, uh, would love to hear about that.
2: Of course. Well, the joy of of my life, if you have, uh, you were lucky enough to have a career that I have had, is that you can be a role model and inspire people and the only way we get anything done in this world is by the next generations doing it because we're here a limited amount of time so very very rewarding to be working with early career and collegiate people my dear friend Brooke was diagnosed with cancer on her 30th birthday and she lived for six brave years but when she lost her battle that night i just thought how can i make sure her light still still shines she was motivating to me as and and she was my mentee um her life inspired so many and cassie and will who co-founded that group with me we've now got more than 200 Brookies, as they call themselves, and expanded that to the Patty Grace Smith Fellowship. Unfortunately, Patty also lost her life that year, and so Black collegiate students have now their fellowship, where we also have gotten a great response from the community. So the the good news is there's people really interested in the next generation's views and bringing in more uh, diverse viewpoints and workforce. I, I, I feel like those people I know, it's, it's a great thing to make individual accomplishments, but nothing is really achieved without Mm -hmm. a group of people. And I just love watching those Brookies and what they're all doing. They are at all these companies doing great things.
1: Yeah, you tell a great story in the book about, um, you know, one, one brookie who was in the, the pad closeout crew for DM2, which has got to be a very fulfilling thing to see, you know, get end to end like that. But I mean, even I've, I've, uh, uh, I've crossed paths with a few of these brookies and like everyone I've met, like they are a force. They are, they have, they've got a, a chip on their shoulder. They're ready to make a difference and, and be a part of the space industry and really get things done. And so, um, to you and all, the, all the mentors out there that who have, been participating in that, like, good it work. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> can
2: yeah. You, it's, can you give, like, a great.
0: timeline for people that, that might be listening, interested in this kind of thing? Like, what is the general seasonality of these?
2: Yes. We um, have the 2022 class in place. They are in their internships this summer. This is a summer internship program. But we will have the new applications online soon. It's certainly by July and applications, we keep making the due date earlier and earlier because we are becoming more and more competitive and those people really line up their summer internships early. So I sh- shouldn't tell you the deadline, it used to be November 1st, but I'm sure it's maybe a little before that to get in your application. And we make our selections right around the holidays. My My kids already know like, all I really want to do with Thanksgiving and Christmas now is call and give people good luck, good you know, <laughs> news that they got in. I, I really appreciate screams and tears, especially. <laughs> um, and and then we match them with companies in January, match them with their mentors, and in February we make the announcement. It's a awesome, year long awesome. process.
0: Yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, and I guess we should also. Talk about this book again because your book's coming out June 21st in all formats. Uh I you mentioned at the top of the show, East City Bookshop. If you want signed copies, that's where to go. We've got links in the show notes. Uh Jake and I got advanced copies to read, and then I also finished it in an audiobook form, which you read yourself. We didn't even talk about that. Crap, there was like the best yeah. story of all time. We'll <laughs> have to have you back <laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> totally forgot about the the, the voice, uh the, the boy book voice story, but um, is there anywhere in particular you'd like to send people if they're interested in escaping gravity?
2: Uh, my website, which is com, I've got links to all the amazing blurbs from, from people who uh, got advanced copies and read the book and said nice things. And I have some excerpts out there, but in just a couple days, you can get your own copy. So I'm I'm very excited to share share the story but of course also um nervous nervous about its its reception yeah. in the in the space world. No, it's going to be awesome.
0: I do want to well, say yeah. I don't know if this still works the same way but I've had a couple of friends release books over the years and it doesn't come out till the 21st but you can pre-order the book and all of the pre-order sales get counted on launch day. So it makes a huge difference in Lori's book going way up the charts on on all of the bestseller lists. So like pre-order whenever you're listening to this number one it, this is a must read if you're listening to the show next week and you haven't bought this book i'm personally angry at you because this is like the most <laughs> this is the most jake and anthony content that there has ever been so it is required yeah. reading summer reading for the off nominal listenership is escaping gravity 100 yeah. required reading don't watch the show again until you're finished it is my advice <laughs> <laughs> putting your foot down. It's my yeah, Yes. <laughs>
2: Oh, yes awesome. I, I know my audience is i was like these are my people i'm doing it
1: <laughs> it's good, it's good.
0: lori this <laughs> has been amazing thank you so much for coming on and like i said we'll have to have you back for uh the story of how you almost did a barack obama impression in your audiobook recording <laughs> indeed folks, my my, my punch- started with folks right folks yeah
2: oh yeah <laughs> But it was, it was my, my son who said, don't do it, mom, you might get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> See, this words. is why we need
1: young people. This is why we need young people.
2: <laughs> oh, I, they have taught me so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, speaking of next week, we got a, a fun show as well. We're going to be able oh. to almost, almost like do a follow on to this. So we're having Eric Berger on no, that's, next that's week. That's the week after. Uh, That's the week after?
0: Yeah, but you should also plug that. Let's plug that one first. June 30th, Eric Berger's coming on the show to have the debate of is Bill Nelson a good NASA administrator or not? Because he recently did this Twitter thread where he was like, I was wrong. He's doing a good job. I'm pretty sure Jake and I harshly disagree with that take. So (laughs) it's going to be a fantastic debate uh, where we will sort out exactly how good of a job he is or is not doing.
2: I might have DM'd Eric when I saw that.
0: (laughs) You can come back if you want. If you're available June 30th, it might be a, a bit much. Three-on-one might be a little harsh for Eric. If I,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Yes, I'm, I'm getting my weeks mixed up. Yeah, but totally. in two weeks, we have Eric Berger. Yeah. That's fine. We can well, announce that week, one. next week, though? Next week, though, uh, I do have... Um, uh, we're going to do a little episode about the whole Starbase thing because we had a whole uh, resolution to the big story about the FAA approval and all that kind of stuff. So I have some friends from the uh, nasaspaceflight.com uh, uh, institution, uh, who have been following this better than anyone, I think. There's, there's no uh, journalistic organization that has spent uh, more time and energy keeping track of every uh, step along the way. So we're going to talk about that and have some fun with that as well.
0: I'll be on the road, so enjoy the yeah. Ocelot watch that you're uh, getting into yeah, there. Yeah. We're going to Got talk it. about
1: book reports. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Lori's <laughs> yeah. next book is on the uh, Mexican Civil War that happened in Boca Chica, Texas.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's, it's fiction. My next one is fiction. That's right.
1: Lori, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for hanging out with today. This is really, really fun.
2: Thank you. Have a good one. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. End of test.